There's one particular verse uh, from the book of Isaiah that has captured my, my imagination for as long as I can remember. And it comes from Isaiah chapter 6. And in Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah kind of wakes up to find himself in the throne room of God. And it's not a comforting vision, it's a scary vision. There are angels with six wings that are flying all over the place. And they're covering their eyes with one set of wings and their feet with another set of wings and they're flying with the other wings. And they're crying out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And Isaiah realizes that he's in the throne room of God and he then realizes that he's in deep, deep trouble. Because he shouldn't be there. No one should. One does not simply enter the presence of God. But he's purified with a hot coal on his tongue. But then comes this exchange. Isaiah chapter 6 verse 8. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And I said, here I am, send me. This exchange fascinates me. It is so interesting because you have a scene that is dripping with the glory, power, and incredible awesomeness of the presence of the Lord. Isaiah doesn't even in this passage try to describe God. God is just a voice, and, and all he can really do is capture like all of the things, the trappings that are around God in words that are not enough. And, and, and the whole thing is so overwhelming to him that he recognizes that as a mortal he shouldn't be in that place. And yet in this scene of power and glory, there is a weird paradox. God needs someone to go. The all-powerful God of the universe needs someone to go back to his people and to give them a message. So he calls out to the space, knowing Isaiah is there, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah answered with these simple but powerful words, here I am, send me. It's kind of like this, well, I'm here. I'll go. But this entire scenario of God asking for someone to go, it makes me wonder what happens if no one goes? I know that's a weird question to ask. But what happens if no one goes? What would have happened if Isaiah had looked around the room and waited for someone else to respond? Waited for someone else to go. Waited for someone else to step into the space that God had spoken into. I mean, when we think about ourselves and God, does God really need someone to go? How dependent is he upon those who call themselves his children to get his message to the rest of the world? 
And don't misunderstand me. God is the Almighty. There is no God beside him. He will carry out his will and act how he sees fit. And what you or I do is not going to stop the will of God. We're straight on that, right? However, we know that God's desire is that all people are saved and come to a knowledge of the truth from 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4. And Paul makes it clear in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that is as those who have come to know the love of God in Jesus and have been reconciled to God, we are Christ's ambassadors as if God were making his appeal through us. Yes, church, God is going to work and move, and yes, his will will be done, but God relies on those who know him, those who have experienced his great love, who know his grace and forgiveness to go out into the world and tell the world about who he is and what he has done. So what happens when people don't go? What happens if someone doesn't step into the gap? What happens if Isaiah decides he can't speak up for God? What happens if the apostles decided they won't go into hostile environments and speak the truth of the gospel? And there are really only a few possible answers to these questions. If someone doesn't go, then perhaps God will simply raise someone else up. He chose Paul, after all, appeared to him on the road, and, and Paul gave himself over to spreading the gospel to the ends of the earth. But at the end of that line of reasoning, you see someone still has to go. So another option would be that if people do not step up and go, that not as many people will hear the gospel because no one is going. And if the gospel doesn't go out into the world, then fewer people will hear it, fewer people will be given the opportunity to respond to the love of God and to hear the good news about what God has for them. And ultimately, God's desire that everyone be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth will drift further and further away. God doesn't need us in order to be God. but God needs us to go. I titled this series Go because in large part the book of Acts is about the going out into the world. God's will is that the gospel be shared to the ends of the earth, to all people. And he is working uh, both behind the scenes and right out in public to make sure that that happens. God, through the Holy Spirit, is definitively the one who is making things happen in the book of Acts. But we can't overlook how God is working and what he is doing because how he is working and what he is doing is equipping people to go. He's not simply being God and being awesome 24-7, 365, right? He is equipping people to go out into the world and, and to tell everyone about who he is. 
And, and so even though he is the main mover and he is behind everything, his power is being used in the lives of those who are willing to go to the world for him and tell everyone about who Jesus is and what God is doing in the world. So today we're going to pick it up in Acts chapter 13, which makes sense since we were in Acts chapter 12 last week. And the first thing that we see in this part of the going, because where we are now in Acts chapter 13, Paul and Barnabas are getting ready to go. But it doesn't happen by accident. The Holy Spirit gives them the mission to go. From Acts chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. Now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. We covered the story of Saul on the road to Damascus, but when, when, when Saul was confronted by God and called, he was told three things. Number one, he was going to be an instrument to carry the name of Christ out to the world. Number two, he would take this message out to Gentiles and kings. And three, he was going to be shown how much he will have to suffer for the sake of Christ. Paul was going to have to go. And it is estimated on the basis of the accounts in Acts that during Paul's life, he traveled over 10,000 miles going and telling people about Jesus. Chapter 13 is the start of Paul's first missionary journey, and there is a lot of going in this chapter in chapter 14. But as with everything in the book of Acts, Paul doesn't just wake up in the morning and decide to travel the world. Things can't commence without the guidance and empowerment of the Holy Spirit. You see, God has a mission for Paul and for Barnabas and initially for John, too, who goes with them in this first place. And, and the Holy Spirit guides them and says, it's time for you to go, but I want you to notice what else they do. They fasted, they prayed, and the community laid hands on them and prayed over them before they took a step out the door. The whole act of going is bathed in the purposes of God, the power of the Holy Spirit, a connection to God uh, by those who will go, and a blessing from the community. So I want you to know, like, off the bat, going is not something that just happens. Like, we hope we'll get to go and share the gospel with someone while we're at the grocery store. Like, that's great if that happens. But going here is something much more intentional than that. There is purpose. There is mission. There is the Holy Spirit behind it. So there's something that we see throughout Paul's journey. 
And, and that is that the Holy Spirit sent Paul and Barnabas, but the Holy Spirit also gives them what they need in every situation so that their going matters. Um, so they, they first, uh, here's a map actually. Jed, would you bring up this, this map? So this kind of shows you, uh, there's two Antiochs on the map. So just be ready for that. But he started here and he travels around this way, up, around, and then back. Um, so this is sort of the scope of his first uh, missionary journey with Barnabas. So they first traveled to a place called Paphos, where they met, this, they met a Jewish sorcerer and false prophet named Bar-Jesus who worked for the proconsul Sergius Paulus. I really had to work on my vocabulary this week, by the way. There was some, there was some practicing here. So... They, they go to this place, and um, they start, you know, preaching the gospel, telling everyone about Jesus. And so Sergius hears about this, so he sent for Paul and Barnabas because he wanted to hear the word of God. But this sorcerer, Bar-Jesus, opposed them. He didn't want them to come in and talk about Jesus because he, you know, he is directly opposed to what they are about. And so Paul, filled with the Spirit, called out this dude and named him as a child of the devil. And then darkness came over Bar-Jesus, and he could not see. And this guy who was uh, claiming so much power had to be led away by the hand. He was so helpless. And the end result, you see in chapter 13, verse 12, when the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed, for he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. So they went to this place, they preached the gospel, the gospel was effective, they used the power of the Holy Spirit, and, and that power spoke to this person and spoke to these people, and, and, and he gave his life to Christ. So they leave there, and they go to Pisidian Antioch, which is the other Antioch, and there, when they, when they got there, they headed straight to the synagogue. There was a Jewish synagogue there in town, and so they went there first. And um, in what is perhaps one of the most foolhardy moves in Acts, the leader of the synagogue, after the reading of uh, the prophets and the law, invited Paul to get up and speak. Yeah, it's true. And Paul was through the Spirit, was given wisdom and boldness to speak the truth of the gospel in a powerful sermon where he laid out exactly how Jesus is the Messiah. And he tied Jesus to everything that God has ever done and, and all that God is doing and just laid it out in front of them so, so plainly. And, and this was their response to the message. In Acts chapter 13, verses 42 through 52. As Paul and Barnabas were leaving the synagogue, the people invited them to speak further about these things on the next Sabbath. When the congregation was dismissed, many of the Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who talked with them and urged them to continue in the grace of God. Listen to this. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. When the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy. They began to contradict what Paul was saying and heaped abuse on him. 
Then Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly, We had to speak the word of God to you first. Since you reject it and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life, we now turn to the Gentiles, for this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you a light to the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and honored the word of the Lord, and all who were appointed for eternal life believed. The word of the Lord spread through the whole region, but the Jewish leaders incited the God-fearing women of high standing and the leading men of the city. They, they stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. So they shook the dust off their feet as a warning to them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Okay. It's, there's some weird things that happen here a little bit, right? Like they go, they're invited to speak, and the Jews uh, are, are listening to them, they're following them, there, there seems to be some connection, but the next week as the whole city turns up, uh, they're all of a sudden intimidated by, by Paul and Barnabas. But Paul and Barnabas continue to speak boldly. And we see the Holy Spirit working here in that Paul was given all of the wisdom and words that he needed to talk to the people of God and explain to them how Jesus is God's plan for salvation. And, you know, what's kind of cool about this story is that people were just drawn to the message, you know? Whereas in the previous story, there was a show of power and that kind of helped seal the deal. In this one, it's, it's just the message and, and the whole city is, is showing up to hear the word of the Lord. And when the Jews grew, grew jealous, those who were not deciding to follow Jesus, Paul and Barnabas, they just told it like it was. We came to you and you did not want the message. Now it is going to go to Gentiles. And, and, and the Gentiles hear the message of God and they're like, thanks. That's wonderful. God is drawing us into his kingdom. They were, they were honored to be loved by God. But persecution was stirred up against them, and so what did they do? They had to go. So, but they went, e even out of this weird, like running from persecution, how did they go? They were filled with great joy. Because even in the face of opposition, God was still working and moving, and people were coming to believe in Jesus. So they, they next went to Iconium. Acts chapter 14, verses 1 through 7. At Iconium, Paul and Barnabas went as usual into the Jewish synagogue. There they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Greeks believed, which means they made sense to the people who grew up hearing about God, and they made sense to the people who had never known this God before. That's pretty impressive. But the Jews who refused to believe stirred up the other Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there speaking boldly for the Lord, who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to perform signs and wonders. The people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews, others with the apostles. There was a plot afoot among both Gentiles and Jews together with their leaders to mistreat them and to stone them, but they found out about it and fled to the Lyconian cities of Lystra and Derbe and to the surrounding country where they continued to preach the gospel. 
So again, the Spirit gave them the words to say. The message was effective. And you know how you know the gospel is being effective in all these places? My glasses are fogging up. Do you know how you know the gospel is being effective? Two reasons. People are believing in Jesus and people are getting mad. That's how you know. That's how you know that the gospel is being effective in these places. So the Spirit gave them the words. It's going out there. And, and, and then they perform you know, signs and miracles. And those who refused to believe wanted to persecute the disciples. And this time they were going to go so far as to stone them, to kill them. Uh, but Paul and Barnabas found out about it, which I just, I, I, I don't believe is an accident. Um, and they left spreading the gospel again wherever they went. And, and, and this is something, remar- I know we're flying through this. If any of you have ever read the Lord of the Rings book, books, I should say, this is the Fellowship of the Rings. You know what they do throughout the Fellowship of the Rings? They go from here to here to here to here. And this is what is happening here in, in this story. So they go to Lystra. And there they healed a man who had been lame for most of his life. And the people were so impressed by this healing that they thought Paul and Barnabas were Zeus and Hermes. And the priest of Zeus ran out to get animals to bring them to sacrifice to Paul and Barnabas. And Paul and Barnabas, they they fell on the ground, they tore their clothes, they said, we are just men, we are not. It is God who is has given you all that you have, who has brought rain on your lands. It is God who we are here to represent. And they literally had to talk these people out of worshiping them. And it took some time to convince them. And if that wasn't enough, here's what happened after that. In Acts 14, 19 through 20, Then some Jews came from Antioch, so that's the Antioch way up here, not the Antioch over here, and Iconium, and they won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. The next day he and Barnabas left for Derbe. So this time... They go, the gospel's effective. They have one part of the city thinking they're gods. They have transplants from another place they've already been come in and try to kill them. And somehow Paul survives a stoning. But he gets up and he goes back in the city and then what does he do? He goes somewhere else to do what? To preach the gospel. So from there, they went to Derby, where they preached the gospel and they won a large number of disciples from Acts chapter 14, verses 21 through 28. They preached the gospel in that city and won a large number of disciples, just like I said. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. 
Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. After going through Pisidia, they came to Pamphylia. And when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. From Italia, they sailed back to Antioch where they had been committed to the grace of God for the work they had now completed. On arriving there, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they stayed there a long time with the disciples. What did they do? They went in a big circle, sort of. And the church that they left, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit and the blessing of those people, they came back to the church. And what did they have to tell them? <clears throat> God is good. God is good. You would not believe <laughs> what happened to us. But God is good. And guess what? People are hearing about Jesus and lives are being changed. So, what do we see in all of these stories of going? We see that those who go, go with purpose and mission. And church, this is crucial. I, I cannot overstate how important this is. Because they're going through some stuff. And if they don't understand their purpose and mission, they will give up. But at no point in any of these stories, no matter what is happening, do you ever hear about them wavering. And you know what? It's not because they're so awesome, Paul and Barnabas. It's because God is. And they understand that, that they are going on behalf of a God who is amazing and who loves the world. And in spite of all the persecution, they never lose sight of what they are there to do. The gospel must go out and it is their job to take it and they are convinced of this. And we see also that the Holy Spirit, this is also really important, gives them everything that they need. They are given power, they are given wisdom, they are given words, they are given protection, they are given healing. And everywhere they go, yeah, yeah, stuff happens to them, but everywhere they go, there are ears that are ready to hear about the goodness of God. Everywhere. There are people that are ready to hear about the goodness of God if someone will just speak it to them and just say who God is. The Holy Spirit is leading them into all these places where people are ready to hear the gospel. And the, they don't have to do signs and miracles, so the Holy Spirit empowers them to do that. The message itself is powerful. When the gospel goes out, it has the ability to change lives. Now, I want to step away from that for a second. I want to ask you a question that maybe you've thought about, maybe you haven't. Um, Paul and Barnabas are, you know, they're apostles, they're disciples, they're sent by the Holy Spirit. Is it just the job of the few to go? So, I mean, we, we know from that, you know, some are made to be teachers and some are made to be different things. And 
Um, and we do see that the disciples are charged with going to all these places to plant the seeds of the gospel for the first time. But they were in these different places for short periods of time. And while they might have shared the gospel for the first time, those who stayed behind were left to create community and help it grow. And it was their job then, even though they weren't apostles, and even though they were Gentiles and Greeks, to tell others about who God is and what God is doing in the world. So, what does this say to us today? I think that we need to be more convicted of our purpose and mission, which is, we've said it this way, we believe that the love of God in Jesus changes everything. But unless we are convicted in our hearts that God has changed us and that God can change the world, then we will not go. We will find every reason to not go. It's too scary or what happens if I don't say the right thing or... Listen... People need to hear the gospel, and the message of the gospel is still effective. It wasn't just effective then because people were hearing it for the first time. It's effective because it's powerful. That God loves this world, that Jesus came here to die for us, that we might have life. People still need to hear this. And I have other news for you. The Holy Spirit will still give you what you need. The Holy Spirit will still empower you to share the gospel effectively. Uh, I have a, well, an acquaintance. It used to be a friend of mine from high school. I, I haven't seen her in however long it was ago that I graduated from high school. It was a long time ago. It was in the 90s. And my friend's name is Aaron. And Aaron goes to the Res Church in Colorado. Do you know how I know that Aaron goes to the Res Church in Colorado? She will not shut up about it. If you were to go to her Facebook page, all the posts, I mean like almost like all of them, are about her relationship with God what God is doing in her life, and how this church has blessed her. Here's an example. And I asked Aaron's permission uh, to share this with you today. There is much suffering in the world, physical, material, mental. The suffering of some can be blamed on the greed of others. The material and physical suffering is suffering from hunger, from homelessness, from all kinds of diseases, but the greatest suffering is being lonely, feeling unloved, having no one. I have come more and more to realize that it is being unwanted, that it's the worst disease that any human can ever experience. From Mother Teresa. Before coming to Res Church, I was struggling. Life felt heavy, and I didn't know how to move forward. At Res, you'll hear every week that we exist to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. 
That is exactly what happened in my life after joining the Adopt-A-Block team with NoCo Dream Center. I didn't have any answers on how to fix the struggles and pain in my own life, but I started walking alongside a like-minded group of people, and our purpose was to find a need and fill it. What God did in my heart during this time has forever changed me. In the midst of trying to fill a need for others, God filled a need in me. My pain began to lift, and I started to remember what hope felt like. That's beautiful. And yes, she speaks passionately about her church. But it's not about her church. It's about God. And what she very eloquently, I think, says is that God has changed me. God has changed me. And, you know, what is so great about this, who is she trying to convince of something? We don't know. And honestly, it kind of doesn't matter. Because the truth of God is being spoken into a space. And someone may read this or hear this, and someone may reach out to her, or someone may visit their church, or someone may ask, what can God do for me that God did for you? I know this is weird for your pastor to say, I need to be more passionate about going. I love people, and I love God, and I believe that all people need God, but I am not passionate enough about going. And I am not passionate enough about putting what God has done in my life into the world and letting God and the Holy Spirit move through it. Maybe you can identify with that. Maybe you struggle for ways to share or to open up to people or, you know, we've talked about this before, like so often we have sort of this end product in mind that through three minutes of conversation with us, someone will change their life forever. When Paul and Barnabas went out, they went out and simply spoke the truth of the gospel into the world. And I want you to hear this again. It worked. It worked. Because people heard the truth about God. I want... People have asked me in the last couple of months, how do we grow? How do we draw more people in? And I'll tell you, like... We could create more programs and we could do more things and we can do all that. But that's, that might help some people come in the door, but that's not going to be what makes this church grow. You know what is going to make any church grow? is people who are passionate about God. People who are passionate about God and who know that God has changed their lives and who are willing to go 
into the world and say, this is what God has done for me. This is what God can do for you. And people still need to hear that. Amen? Amen. Amen.